Hey, Ryan, we have some pretty exciting news, I think. Construction Disruption now has our first ever paid sponsor. There's this company that approached us about getting in front of our audience, and we're so pleased to have them now as a sponsor. That's right, Todd. That company is TrueLook, and what they offer is pretty awesome. They've made it incredibly easy to view, secure, and document job sites with their construction cameras. You know, a lot of times I think we think of construction cameras as, you know, just being there for security. But with TrueLook, they also have features like custom time-lapse videos and remote live viewing. Yeah, you know, a term we throw around a lot here on construction disruption is game-changing, and TrueLook certainly falls into that category. Um, being able to document your progress on job sites and then go back and show your clients that high-quality in-progress video is certainly something that I would call game-changing. You know, I absolutely agree. And at TrueLook, they also have unlimited users, free forever media storage, 24-7 support, no contract service plans, lifetime equipment warranties, and no limits on 4G LTE data transmission. And they integrate seamlessly with project management tools like Procore and Autodesk. You know, I don't think anyone makes construction cameras as hassle-free or feature-rich as TrueLook. Anyone can go and schedule a free no-obligation quote at TrueLook.com. That's TrueLook.com. Welcome to the Construction Disruption Podcast, where we uncover the future of design, building, and remodeling. I'm Todd Miller of Isaiah Industries, manufacturer of specialty metal roofing and other building materials. Today, my co-host is Ethan Young. Ethan, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good today, Todd. Definitely. Good. Happy that it's Friday, but doing good. How about you? I'm looking forward to the show, actually. Um, this is one that we booked a couple weeks ago, and I've been looking forward to it ever since because uh, we just got some cool stuff we're going to be talking about looking out ahead into design and construction. But I did have something I wanted to share first, and, and this was sometimes we have jokes. I'm sorry. I don't have a joke to share today. Maybe, maybe, maybe I am the joke. I don't know. But um, this is a quote that I read. Um, it's attributed to Warren Buffett. You know, you see these quotes on the Internet. And who knows if this is really who originally said this, but um, I still think it's a pretty cool quote um, to live by. So let me read this real quick. You will continue to suffer if you have an emotional reaction to everything that is said to you. True power is sitting back and observing things with logic. True power is restraint. If words control you, that means everyone else can control you breathe and allow things to pass. I love that. I think that's a, that's a good reminder for uh, all of us to kind of approach life and uh, just have that sort of, uh, what was the word you used? Stoicism? Yeah, we kind of a stoic attitude about it. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. So good, good advice, I think. Well, let's go on into the show today. So it's kind of interesting when when we first developed construction disruption and hard to believe, um, Ethan, it's been nearly two years already since yeah. we started the show. Um, but when we first started, our goal was really to, you know, what we call uncover the future of design and building and remodeling. And I think we've lived into that well. Um, 
you know, over the years, we've looked at industry disruptors, and we've also looked at a number of individuals and companies who are trying to hard, trying hard to live into the future and, and also to shape the future of our great industry. Um, today, we're going to do something a little different. We're going to focus um, a little bit more on what I call the intangible. intangible. Um, we're going to dream and scheme a bit on where our industry may be going and really what it's going to take to get us there. Um, to, to help us to that end today, uh, we have Alex Walzer. Um, Alex is from Zurich, Switzerland, and he is a doctoral researcher with ETH Zurich, which is the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology. He is studying and working on construction entrepreneurship with a focus on digital fabrication and also on robotics in construction. Alex has broad experience in architecture and engineering, and he is, really just has this fascination with where our industry may be going and how it's going to get there. So, Alex, what a pleasure to have you today as a guest on Construction Disruption. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, thanks, folks. Um, the pleasure is mine. And uh, in general, I would say I'm, I'm very happy to connect with you and talk about such uh, timely topics, maybe pointing towards the future, maybe pointing towards just tomorrow. Um, and also congratulations actually on your podcast and the website uh, looks really great. And I did want to mention before we get into the rest of the interview, we are doing our challenge words this episode. So yeah, keep a, keep an ear out, see if you notice any kind of interesting or unique words coming from us and we'll, we'll let you know at the end of the episode. But anyways. Thank you, Ethan. I so often forget to say that. I appreciate your throwing that in there. So our challenge words are just these words we challenge each other to work into the conversation. So we encourage our audience to listen to that. So, so Alex, let's jump into things. Um, I want to start with sort of an overview question. Um, I'm just kind of curious, what is it about construction that fascinates you and um, makes you want to be a part of that journey into the future of construction? It's, it's a great question. So um, I'll, it will be more anecdotal now, this part, but I'm trained as an architect. And I guess uh, soon throughout this education, I realized I'm, I'm actually more interested in the process of constructing or construction, um, because I think it's actually quite beautiful to, to, to learn and see um, how basically our built environment is, is planned and, and built around us and also how it um, regenerates as we, as we construct new stuff. Um, that being said, I think there are also big, big challenges faced today and maybe or not, um, some of today's problems actually come from yesterday's solutions. So in general, you know, as a curious mind, um, I'm, I'm rethinking it, um, just wondering basically, and I must in that sense believe that tomorrow needs to be different uh, from today. Very interesting. Well, you know, and your history is kind of interesting to me because we had another architect on the show once who, you know, he was trained as an architect and he just loved construction. I mean, he wanted to be the guy picking up the hammer. And so he kind of got into sort of a design build thing. But one of the things he told us was that original architects were also builders. They weren't just the ones sitting around designing. And I, I thought that was pretty fascinating. So as you look at the construction industry, Alex, um, what do you see as some of the biggest opportunities, you know, for growth or, you know, change or challenges that, that the industry is going to continue to face? So if you ask me maybe a few years back when I was younger, um, I'd probably have started answering this with, with some solutions, right? With uh, robotics and automation, um, maybe something fancy around computation, 3D design or something. Um, 
but the problem sits not does not sit there, right? So I think that it's pretty easy to forget that we are currently in a in a transition period of our industry. Um, it is a very rough industry to actually work in today, mostly always has been very stressful for, for most and also for some actually very heavy on their bodies, right? So I would say that these are some problems we actually have to face. Um, and if it was possible in an ideal scenario, we could make this um, kind of everyday life for every stakeholder in the construction value chain and, and you know, adjacent industries uh, much better, right? And this is a, a big challenge. Um, but yeah, I think in, in, in short, what I see is that there is a construction industry changing as we speak very slowly though um and there are many loose ends we have to tie up here um that's being said also um i think the bottlenecks are social processes and people and not necessarily technological ones um so we can we cannot move the problems um basically by just hiding them right um, we need to solve them so i would say Let's discuss what the symptoms we have, right? Um, and then let's discuss what the root causes are and how we can change them and how we can kind of solve the pain of the industry there and not um, start with the solutions up front. I guess this is something I see often in, in, in my field in, in research. That's very interesting. So, you know, if some of the problems or challenges we're facing are more social processes, people, those types of things, I mean, it, it kind of sounds like any, you know, ongoing change that we ha do have in the industries probably isn't going to be, you know, like quantum leaps real fast. I mean, things that are usually driven by technology, it probably will be more slow and, and gradual and more through adoption. Is that kind of what you think also? Yeah, exactly. I mean, look, I, of course, I wish that uh, like, in, in inner part of myself wishes for disruption, right? And wishes mm -hmm. for things to to destroy and uh, your i think your podcast has a very fitting uh, title here but it is maybe not as disruptive as we would wish for because it's a social process it's a social experiment and so technological change and innovation takes takes time to, to just um, materialize um i think also so far if you look at the innovations in construction they have been very incremental uh, so far um yet maybe you know um thinking of like regulations and the discussion more recently about embodied and emitted carbon, I think this actually might change a bit the way that existing companies are competing, you know, making revenue might in turn maybe lead to new materials and processes throughout this transformation. So it is really a little bit um, like a carrots and sticks uh, approach, you know, um, and that being said, this is a very big industry. It, it plays in different markets very decentralized, very networked. Um, so it's also uh, for me a bit difficult to, for example, compare the US environment to the European one, to Asia Pacific, Global South, right? There are different markets out there. Um, different markets require different solutions. They have different problems sometimes. Um, and I think we just have to in parallel test many, many ideas at the same time. And uh, it's a great time right now to probably do that. Um, um, just also maybe want to add up. Um, so yes, maybe it is less of a quantum leap, uh, disruptive uh, kind of transformation that will happen as we speak, but we also should not underestimate second order effects, right? So think about how, for example, the um, hardware of a smartphone enables us to actually develop apps and platforms and marketplaces, right? So you can say that maybe without 
smartphones, we wouldn't have ride-sharing platforms or dating apps, uh, whatnot, right? All these kind of players, uh, they, they require this hardware in the first place. Um, and so this is, I think, quite interesting, maybe not something we had in mind when we were having these early Nokia phones. Um, and I guess the, the point I want to make here is that maybe hardware enables new ecosystem building eventually. Um, and then, but the, if you then consider not the smartphone manufacturing world and consumer electronics, but the construction industry, we are pretty much in the same place we've been 100 years ago. Maybe we have better windows now, but they're still the same archetype of, of product. Um, and also maybe to give you an example from the automotive space, I always like to think in other industries, right? What if, what kind of transformation have they undergone? Um, and if you think of automotive space, maybe around, let's say 50 years ago, you know, aerodynamics also did not really matter that much, right? Or um, passenger pedestrian safety did not play a big role, right? So that's, that's the cars back then, they didn't, they had a different radius, right? Because maybe of manufacturability, not of, outside external factors. Um, so that's quite important. I think this is a, a shift for sure. And as you can see today, leading car manufacturers uh, in the world are, are leading in those fields in aerodynamics and passenger safety. So putting regulations and just values in society up front um, will actually, might actually um, condense the goods innovation to move forward, right? And we are all part of this big experiment. So we will see, we will see eventually, and it's easier in hindsight than, forecasting um, how, how we will move ahead in our industry. Very interesting. Well, when, when you think about the challenges that are going to drive change in the construction industry, are most of those challenges you think have to do with, um, you know, some of the things we think about energy, carbon footprint, or do you think there are, are other big challenges on the horizon that are going to be the drivers of change also in construction going forward? Yeah, so I, I feel like to think of this kind of carbon discussion and material discussion, like as um, as we, if we think of food, right? These are the calories. So we need to know how much we should consume, what is healthy and what is not. Um, what's the ideal breakfast? It's a stupid comparison, but you know, like we need this. We need to know, like, what's in this building? What, what does it represent? What energy went into it? And maybe how can I sell it again in a in a circular economy um, uh, environment? Um, However, I think, okay, also moving forward, big challenges are that actually our infrastructure that we've built over the past decades is falling apart. Um, plus the pressure of uh, declining available workforce, or let's, let's put it in other words, maybe this is interesting for your listeners. I'm not sure if we have a declining workforce, but there's a declining number of people willing to work for the salaries this industry pays. Maybe that's a different perspective to look at it. Um, but anyway, we need more people, probably higher salaries new technologies in this environment as well. And by, by adding new technologies, maybe we can reskill existing workforce or attract also like an, a new supplementary workforce as well. Um, it is, as I said before, right, like a very unpleasant work environment. Um, not many people like really want to work in it. <laughs> we are actually in here, I don't know why, but um, it is interesting, but it's still unpleasant, right? So um, it has to do with unrealistic deadlines, I would say ad hoc like workflows, a lot of waste in general as well, like both in, in, in terms of uh, labor and also materials. Um, and, you know, by doing this, we're not generating a really high performance, high quality environment for high performance, high quality products, uh, rather the opposite, right? It's a race to the bottom sometimes. And 
nobody in the manufacturing industry, for example, would behave or do projects the way we do it, right? So maybe, maybe we are missing a little bit of like management skills and education to actually work through these this big complex projects. Um, and maybe in general, I would say I'm also like um, a big fan of, of moving away from projects to products um, because I don't, don't quite know, even as an architect, like why 99% of 99% of the buildings actually need to be unique and designed from scratch. Like, why can't we just use the same plans again and industrialize the, the way we build as well? Um, that in turn might also help reducing housing prices. But now I opened up a lot of uh, cans of worms, but you know, I think it's all connected in a way. And um, let's move away from how we've done it in the past to something maybe a bit nicer and more uh, environmentally friendly moving forward. Yeah, I, I think that's all interesting. And and one of the things I thought of when you said that, you know, why does 90% have to be unique? Um, kind of funny, my wife and I live in a home that was built as, as a custom home about 50 years ago. But this was a home design that was out there and lots of folks were building. So it's cool. I may be in some place completely different in the country and see my house. Uh, so I say, yeah, that's kind of cool. Um, but so I, you know, speaking about products, I know that one of the things that you study is what's called digital fabrication and, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, as I understand that that's kind of basically where data is used, used to drive the design of equipment to make new products. Um, is that kind of a loose, good, decent understanding of that? Yeah, it's it's a nice description. I think it's one of the better ones I've heard so far. Um, it's also cool you looked it up. So thanks for doing the, the background um, research. Um, maybe for some of your listeners, some folks out there um, familiar with kind of workflows um, relating, um, usually called CAD CAM, computer-aided design and manufacturing, where basically you have um, a component where you design stuff on the computer, right, as you use building information modeling, but then also something that is related to um, the manufacturing, the production process, and they're actually linked. So the beauty of that would be that you can actually make uh, fabrication data available to the design process uh, upstream, um, opening new kind of avenues to streamline these kind of processes from design to production, right? Um, that also means technically, as you again said before, like, Back in the days, architects were also the builders. And in this case, in this kind of narrative of digital fabrication, we can see a world where the separation of planner and engineers and fabricator is a bit blurred, right? They become the same person. Maybe they become this, this medieval master builder again. That, that, that would be one possible future. Um, so just imagine having a shop downstairs where you can just, you know, you draw some stuff, you run it through the machines or some simulation or so nowadays. And you can realize how much it costs, how much, how long it takes you, what kind of inventory you need to have, and so on. Um, but it's a bit, it's a bit uh, more disruptive approach, I would say, and maybe because of that, not too many companies today actually take advantage of this because it has to be absorbed by the industry as well. Um, digital fabrication, from our understanding, also can lead to a new product architecture, as in a sense, new processes usually also inform new products and vice versa. Um, and maybe one good example for the listener, uh, the name is a bit obvious, but it's called the D DFAB house uh, in Switzerland, Digital Fabrication House. Um, we can maybe then put the link or so in the description later. Um, it is a, a full-scale um, research demonstrator, it's called, kind of a joint venture between university academic research and some curious and, and, and 
um, you know, ambitious industry partners um, that was built around maybe five years ago. Uh, it's still standing, still around. Um, quite cool. It combines elements of 3D printing, robotics, prefabrication. It is, of course, a connected smart home now as well. But it's interesting to see these kind of components come together where everything is actually digitally fabricated, not just a particular element like a column or something, right? So that, that could be quite interesting maybe for some to see. Very cool. Defab House. So there's a website for it, I assume, or something, right? Exactly. Defabhouse.ch. Very good. So another area I know where you study, um, Alex, is robotics and construction. Um, would it make sense to you that as robotics are used more in construction, it's going to be more through off-site construction, um, you know, in factories and so forth, rather than individual job site construction? Or do you see a little bit of both happening? Or how, how do you see robotics coming into play? Yeah, it's a good point again, right? So it's also for me sometimes very difficult in my, in my little brain to draw the, the line between like the way I, how I think about or we think about robotics and the way we think about digital fabrication. It is somewhat interlinked, right? It comes together. Um, sure. But so robotics also comes with software and firmware and all these kind of things, right? They need to be integrated in the production system. Um, so this tends to go towards automation and so on. But um, I would, I would think, think, yes, so both will happen, right? They will materialize probably different, um, differently. Um, I guess that offsite prefab allows just for higher throughput, uh, throughput and thereby enables maybe to achieve economies of scale faster, which then also in turn justifies higher um, capital expenditures of, of such a facility in the, in the first place. Um, but then eventually you get into inventory bottlenecks, right? So you may want to look for methodologies, um, as you can find in the Toyota production system from the automotive industry, very old, right? Where you produce basically and keep a small inventory and produce parts uh, just in time. Um, then in contrast, on the job side, um, I think we're more talk talking about um, collaborative environments because we have smaller batch sizes and it's going to be very similar, I think, to using cranes and tools nowadays, just maybe more sophisticated and uh, more smarter tools, right, that can assist the professionals uh, on the job side. Um, and in this regard, we see a lot of development, actually more recently, um, in terms of drones, uh, other kind of types of robots. Um, and in in our kind of research at university, we also try a little bit to understand how professionals eventually perceive these machines, right? And maybe try to understand if they um, actually, if we can increase acceptance and adoption rate by testing different designs of those machines, or at least understand which kind of design is the, is the most hated one to avoid that, right? Because if the users uh, don't like it, they, they will not use it. So that's, that's, a, that's a bummer then. Um, and... Yeah, I think there's a lot of people already working on this. Um, and both, I think, both are viable options today already. Um, and it might actually um, move quite fast. So if you think of self-driving cars, uh, they were science fiction, right? Um, until like some companies introduced kind of self-driving cars almost 10 years ago already, or semi-self-driving. Um, enabled by electrification of that industry and that kind of product. So 
it's also kind of smart from a business perspective if you think of construction robotics because as you can basically uh, book a one-time sale or you do like a robot as a service lease model or something you can also generate recurring revenue um, through subscription models right so you have maybe like a remote mode and autonomous mode and you have to anyway pay monthly for that or so so and then you can airdrop updates to the machines or, or something like this 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 might happen um so it's quite interesting i think because we're just at the cusp of this taking place so it still sounds crazy uh when we meet in five years uh we will see more of those machines i guess on the on the job side that actually made me think of a couple of things one it just put the picture in my head of like going down to the local like like you know rental place for like a forklift or whatever yard tool you need i don't know if you know what i'm talking about todd like a and just having a robot sure. there I think, I think that's a really that's actually kind of an interesting idea and then the other point is i uh, you published an article back in January. You and some others published an article back in January about um, perceptions of different robotic designs and how those affect, you know. Um, I think where it was interesting for me, too, was I read through the abstract, but do you think there'd be a difference in how people would perceive them based on or how, like, the most effective way we could design them you know, comparing them for a job site or an offsite? Do you think there's a difference there? First of all, thank you for reading our papers. I'm happy somebody does. Um, and I would say yes. So there are some functional requirements, of course, right? Mm -hmm. There's a product architecture that or a certain requirement this machine needs to fulfill. And that depends a bit on the, on the work task and the scenario, how they interact with the humans or not. Um, that will change. These machines are modular as well, so you could change components on them. You could make up a new robot as you, as you wish, maybe like as a, as a platform, as a modular um, system. Um, and then I think, let's say once we have found a good robot that, you know, we are or the, the, the drywall people are happy to work with, then I think it's not about the design in, in the sense of physical embodiment and materialization of that particular machine. But it's also about how this machine um, moves and talks and behaves. Like in your car, you can probably press a button and it has a preset for your seat and maybe the, the temperature you like and whatnot, right? And your radio station that you that is your favorite. The future construction machines might also have, a, like maybe you have a personal key or something to log in, to check for credentials, for training, etc. But then also to give you like a certain profile that you need, right? So maybe... I'm weak in my left arm, so the robot needs to compensate for this weakness. That could be one um, individualized um, scenario I could I could imagine moving forward. Yeah. So as we think about robotics and construction, I mean, uh, you know, one of the thoughts I I think of is is 3D printing um, of buildings, but uh, certainly what we're talking about here goes you know beyond that as well. But uh, you know, 3D printed buildings obviously have a different look to them. Do you, you think that the look and the way we design the aesthetics of buildings is going to have to change to accommodate more of this technology? Look, architects will say 3D printing, the aesthetics of 3D printing is a feature, not a bug. Um, <laughs> so it depends, I guess, maybe like in the future, look, in the future, not so far, you will have, you will order your building in a configurator that is probably some AI driven engine and you will just select, do you want this surface to look 3D printed or just not? And that's it. Like as you order a car and you just select the color of your interior or the surfaces, right? It's that simple. Um, and But what you said is interesting. So will basically, if we zoom out, will the machines that produce a building affect how the building looks? Um, 
Probably, yes. So there are some constraints with 3D printing in terms of just um, <laughs> gravity and, and details like this and just the process, it, it works, right? And then there's differences whether you do this offsite or on the job site, whether you move components, you can, you can flip them or you print them as they should stand uh, there. Um, it depends, right? It depends also then, again, how this is all being assembled or disassembled, if you have this thinking of, of a circularity in here. Um, I think personally, though, that the the robot is just means to produce the building, right? So it is more important to actually think about the psyche and emotions of, of the human user more than the technical capabilities of that particular machine that produces that particular structure once you know, in, in, a, in, in a lifetime, in like a one hundredth of the lifespan, 1% of the time um, of that element. Um, but I, I get the point, of, of course. Um, so maybe here I would say like going back to another industry, like uh, smartphones, they have some ergonomics that are important, right? As we use these kind of phones. Um, and this will then inform the product design, which, inf which kind of in a way has to work out with the production means that are um, available, right? So, um, for example, um, I don't know if, for example, the in construction context, if a nail, just like, you know, like a, like not a screw, but a nail, yeah. informs the design of the hammer um, mm -hmm. or <laughs> vice versa, right? It's a causality dilemma. I don't know, it's a chicken egg thing. So you cannot have one without right. the other. Um, so I don't know. It is one of those kind of situations where we have to think through. Um, and it might just change a little bit the entire system architecture. So maybe both have to change eventually. They have to get closer to each other or some new technique comes out there and we, we don't print, but we spray or throw or something, the concrete maybe um, that's that. And, but in general, also have some other thoughts on, on 3d printing. It is, it has been a very more, more recent, uh, trend, um, in, in the industry. Um, and I'm also personally actually very interested in this and agnostic to industries and application. But when I think about it a bit more, um, it is still cement, right? Still concrete. It doesn't really solve, um, the main problem about environmental impact and so on. So, there will be issues here, I think, moving forward of increasing the market size here too much. Um, and it is also at this point, I think, still a somewhat unclear cost-benefit curve that we need to understand better. Um, critical voices might say that it is a solution looking for a problem. Um, and, you know, since in my, in my doctoral research, I study entrepreneurship in the construction industry, like this is the main uh, application today where we see entrepreneurial activities and uh, startups emerging, right? And um, um, we will see what type of innovation here will basically succeed, right? Um, there's some kind of startups in the US that have raised north of half a billion, I think, in US. Um, so, you know, people believe in it and it's kind of coming together. Technological barriers are being, being basically um, overcome. Um, but I think maybe we should put these elements underground um, in general and do some timber stuff um, for the construction above ground. You know, I thought that was really interesting where, you know, you have this focus on entrepreneurship in construction. And, you know, when I think of entrepreneurship, I think of more sort of the the individual bootstrapping and, and doing something unique. But 
um, really you're kind of looking at bigger picture there that, you know, it's going to take these folks who do want to develop organizations, whether that's already scaled or to be scaled later, um, that want to develop these things to, to push things forward. Um, I mean, do you, do you see that? It sounds like you see that as one of the driving factors that's going to be required to make these changes in terms of social processes and people and so forth that that drives us ahead. Is that correct? Yeah, it's certainly like my my focus would be more on this kind of technology entrepreneurship, right? Like um, pushing this forward, but it is very difficult. Look, it's uh, it's still like companies are just basically it's a group of people. Um, coming together for a particular moment in time, trying to solve a particular problem at a profit. Um, and there's many stakeholders involved, right? And 3D printing, for example, just as to, because we just mentioned it, it's also very unclear from the like regulation and standard um, perspective. Is this going to be, does it suffice? Does it, does it fit to existing frameworks? Do we need new frameworks? Probably both is true, right? So it is an it's added uh, it's an added challenge, um, and this is very interesting to study because the entrepreneurs that are so driven today are trying to overcome this challenge despite all the uncertainty. And this is highly interesting to study, and hopefully it will work out um, because we need those kind of experiments in our construction industry. Otherwise, we just fall back to to how we've done the things right for the past yeah. two hundred years, I guess. Sure. Well. I want to switch gears a little bit. Um, I'd like to talk a little bit about solar and and even specifically building integrated solar. Um, as you kind of look into your crystal ball, is there anything you see happening that's um, in that area that's going to continue to allow buildings to produce their own energy or or be zero energy, however you want to look at it? Yeah, I think it's 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 a great example of of technology that's is in the built environment, but does not really necessarily too much affect the construction process, meaning it is um, highly possible to retrofit existing structures with those kind of technologies, which is which is great. Um, and yes, I mean, look, the, our grid sometimes in some locations is um, plagued by like uh, blackouts and um, we I think we have to make it more resilient. So one way to do it is basically through decentralized energy generation and also um, storage in that sense. Um, and maybe it's also a combination of basically uh, this kind of building integrated photovoltaic systems, maybe some kind of type of wind, um, other energy sources, I don't know, geothermal heat pumps, you know, all these things all together um, to increase actually resilience. Um, and I also like the idea because I think it is a more recent discussion that to some degree puts back agency to building owners and operators um, away from utility companies. Um, so there's a sort of uh, like a bit of like a freedom movement in there as well, which is, I think, quite, quite nice to see. And in the future, yes, I think that there's, there might be a, a possible future where every building, every structure can generate, store, and maybe trade its own energy. Um, so this is also pretty cool in terms of like resource pooling and um, maybe lowering the price of this kind of uh, commodities in in a sense. Yeah, I think you made an interesting point there too. Just uh, it's almost about adding that capability back to people so that, you know, like you said, if the grid goes down, they still have the ability, you know, they can still be lighting their homes. They can still be, if they have an electric car, they can power their car, you know, appliances, internet, whatever it is for in that case. But it's like you said, it's kind of putting a little bit of that power back in the the hands of the individual. Exactly. When I was living in the U.S. last year, um, 
we had a few like uh, power outs and one of my housemates had an electric car and we just basically, <laughs> we hooked up, we had like a huge fridge and we hooked up that fridge um, to the electric car for a few days. It's insane. Um, but that's, that's like this kind of empowerment that you get because you get all of a sudden very creative. It's like our neighbors don't have electric cars. So our fridge is the one on the street, you know? That's well, you know, as we talk about this, looking forward, I mean, one of the things we think a lot of our audience members are folks who are fairly early in their careers in design and building and remodeling. Um, you know, you're still a young guy and you're you're building this amazing career in, the, in a great industry. Do you have any specific career advice for other young folks who are getting involved in this uh, this business? Yeah. So I'm not as young as you might think. But no, thank okay. you. <laughs> uh, new ideas keep me young right it's just a mental mode but i'm uh, i have uh, i have this body to use right so that's it um and i would say that maybe one advice i would like to give also my younger self if, if i was in the same position again is basically to start connect with your peers um and just talk to people in the industry right um don't assume that that your current superior that is only there anyway for a certain amount of time, probably a project, you know, maybe for this one employment, whatnot. They are not your single point of truth. Um, so network, um, move across the firm boundary, you know, knock some walls down, uh, walls down ourselves. Um, I think the industry could really benefit from more transparency. And, you know, you will also then receive uh, transparent feedback as well. Um, and from, from there on, you can actually build trust. You can make teams operate more efficiently. Um, and maybe this also has to do actually, in fact, with de-risking innovation as well, right? Um, it is a methodology called open innovation. And basically, if you are basic, if you are able and willing to share comfortably um, ideas, no matter actually at which stage, they can be stupid. Um, it's fine, right? Um, but I, I really live along those kind of um, in, in my personal life and it gets me sometimes also in trouble, I'll tell you that. But I live along those lines of open innovation um, and I can recommend it. Um, I would say that in general, you can learn something from anybody. Um, don't let your ego or predisposition in, be in the way, right? Um, so imagine, you know, like you know already anyway what you have in your in your mind and the values you stand for. Plus, imagine you can also learn 20% of everybody around you. Um, we would be unstoppable, right? So this is the kind of industry I think we need moving forward. So speak up, connect with other folks, try a startup. You have to be only right once, right? That's it. I love that. And, and I, I remember earlier you spoke that you tend to look outside the construction industry for um, ideas and inspiration. And, and I... Uh, had seen you being interviewed someplace and you said, you know, I really don't read construction books. I tend to read other industries. And you mentioned earlier automotive or vehicles. Um, are there other industries that you think uh, in particular folks ought to be paying attention to or looking to uh, for inspiration and ideas? Yeah, you know, we live in a time of aliens now. So I'm not sure when this podcast will come up, but we just discovered <laughs> that kind of stuff. So I think that space exploration is also highly interesting. Like this is pioneering work, right? Um, people build new technologies to go to places where nobody has been before. Um, and very costly, high risk, um, maybe a bit too much, but aerospace engineering, super interesting. And 
Um, okay, so some, some simpler examples maybe here, right? Easier analogies. I think I would also like to think a bit of more like construction as a, as a physical activity where like lots of professionals, millions of them, in fact, every day burn calories on the job site. So maybe there's a way to, you know, um, think of some more healthy practices for physical health, also mental health, of course. Um, but also maybe think about more about um, our construction professionals actually as athletes um, and cheer them up, you know, and um, I don't know, build teams, you know, where they can be more productive, more efficient. They don't have, to, I don't, I don't know why that is the situation that it currently is in the industry. It could be so much better. So then I think about nutrition, food and cooking, because in the end, workers, professionals out there together are cooking or baking a house, if you will, right? They're mixing ingredients, they put it in the formwork, it's just a massive cake. So um, could be nice, you know, could be healthy too. Well, I, I love that. And I know that you talk some about, you know, gamifying things. So that kind of plays in with that also. How how can we make something fun, something healthy um, out of work? Uh, it's a great concept. Might as well, right? It's almost yeah. for free to be in a good mood and to be do it healthy and, and do it smart and do it properly. Um, so thanks for doing all the um, background research, guys. It's really good stuff. Um, so we can, we can build upon um, Gamification is, I think, the key to unlock um, a lot of things in construction as well as in other industries, of course. Um, and then I, I can see the, the confluence of some sort of gamification with robotics. Um, where it becomes like a video game or something, you know, where like you receive some tokens or you are like the the most productive uh, in the field. So everybody knows your credentials because you have this particular status or um, or soundtrack on your machine. I don't know, whatever it could be, right? It's maybe too simplified and, and, and people don't agree, but something is there that I think we could integrate in the construction industry and robots have been out there in other um geographical regions like for example japan uh, in the 80s as well they disappeared because i think more macro factors and stuff um, um kind of labor got cheaper again so maybe some, something around this right um however if you wanted to see interesting construction sites which i like to to see them um go to japan they're amazing they're very clean they're completely wrapped up no um, dust leaves the construction site. They, they will spray water the, the trucks before leaving um, so they don't affect the neighbors, right? They will have a, a screen there measuring and or measuring and displaying the, the sound levels, the decibel um, of the construction site. Um, I think it's very nice. It's, a, it's, it's, it's one step further like into the future how, and it's their past already. So um, some kind of gamification with some robotics in a nice environment is how I think we could be more productive um, and create generally a nicer, better, uh, more fun environment and maybe eventually build better products. Might even increase your margin, I don't know, but you know, race to the bottom has not worked out so far with a 3% pre-tax profit margin. That's, that's not enough. What the hell? Good point. Um, you know, we're blessed. We we sell a decent amount of our roofing materials in Japan. And um, one of the things you know that always strikes me is their roofing installers wear white gloves. I can assure you there are not too many roofing installers here <laughs> in the States wearing white gloves. Yeah, um, they should wear suits and, um, you know, um, kind of athletic 
outfit. Yeah, because yeah, they're doing physical work, you know. Absolutely, I agree. Well, you know, someone like you who spends so much time thinking about the future of you know focusing on this industry, um, I have to imagine that you have had some pretty out there ideas uh, that you've come to you over the years. I'm just curious: is there anything that you'd want to share with us as far as a real wildest dream uh, idea or something you've played with in your mind about about construction? Yeah, so I really think this kind of gamification approach, it's more like a approach methodology, right, than, than a product or so. I think that could really um, work well. I can also share a bit with you. I have one crazy idea. I was It was actually my undergrad thesis I did with, with two friends and um, a nice uh, set of uh, very supportive um, supervisors. We were trying to um, propose um, to, how should I say, to use the solar energy and bundle the lights basically with a large lens to melt desert sands, right? And we would mount these kind of mirrors on drones, on swarm of drones, and they would solidify layers of uh, desert sand. Um, and just recently, last week, I came across um, a scientific research paper that finally actually tells us that this really can be done. We did small-scale tests, you know, but we were young students with limited resources. And they actually gave us like some good indication of what can be done. So if anyone out there wants to uh, solar seen through desert sand, imagine um, this is abundant material that uh, today cannot really be used for cement because of the aggregate um, texture or something, size, geometry of that. Um, that does not need external energy as well. Um, that could be quite interesting. So in short, 3D printing with desert sand using solar light to crystallize and melt um, to classify basically the, the sand. That would be quite crazy too. Goodness. Remember everyone, you may have heard it here first. I, I love this. <laughs> great. Me great. We'll build it. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, thank you so much, Alex. This is this has been fascinating. We're going to have to have you back sometime. I know there's a lot more we can talk about, but uh, we are kind of close to wrapping up what we call the business end of things. Is there anything we haven't covered today that you'd like to share with our audience? So maybe depending on your audience, right? So maybe one thing we could talk about just briefly is uh, investments in our space. This is something I also tend to spend quite some thinking time uh, on it. Um, and I would say just for investors and, and partners and you know people willing to do joint ventures and so on, like um, I would say that there's a great opportunity to invest in hardware ventures uh, today and hardware solutions like new materials, robotics, and so on. Because what many people... Many people are blinded by returns of software investments, right? And there has been crazy examples in our industry already, exits and acquisitions and so on. Um, less so in the hardware domain. Um, however, people tend to underestimate that once you have developed a hardware product, you can sell it forever. You have to only develop it once. Even if the capital expenditures are higher, you can just keep selling it for like decades if you're smart and you have good IP protection. So the return could be very high. I, I think there should be more investments into this um, domain, but I'm biased, right? So um, that's just my personal recommendation. And um, I think that's it. Um, thanks for having me. It was, a, it was a pleasure. Well, that's that's very interesting advice. So I love it. So 
Before we close out, though, we're not going to let you get get away too quick here. Um, we have to ask if you're willing to participate in something we call our rapid fire questions. So these are seven questions that we ask our guests. We kind of switch them up, ask different questions of different guests. Um, all you got to do is give us a quick answer or long answer, whatever you like, uh, to each question. So are you up to the challenge of rapid fire? Let's go. I'll get in trouble. <laughs> uh, it's it's harmless. Um, well, we'll alternate asking. Ethan, you want to ask the first question? Yeah, I can do that. All right, question one. Um, can you think of a product that you've bought recently that's been a disruptor or a game changer for you? I'm biased because I'm looking at my table. I would say smartwatches. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Very Changes good. everything. Phones are disappearing, guys. Um, <laughs> quote yeah. that. I mean, quote anybody, not this first person to have this idea, but phones are disappearing. Smartwatches. Hmm. Okay, now we're getting somewhere. Sorry, long thought. <laughs> Gamification, construction, smartwatch. You know, like you can build, yeah. I haven't seen a construction app being built on a smartwatch. What the hell? Costs like a few hundred bucks and you can deploy this to millions of people. Very cool. I remember the first time I, I took a call on my uh, watch in front of my mom and she's like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, question number two. Um, what would you like to most be remembered for? I think giving back, ideally. I would like to be remembered for somebody who gives or gives back. I'm a trained paramedic, so I've done my few hundred uh, missions already, but that's how I also think of um, in the work I do that I'm basically helping. However, now I wouldn't like to be remembered as the, as the one that helps when it's too late, you know, as uh, paramedics sometimes do, but one that actually helps earlier in the process as a nutritionist or something, if you will, right, for construction or any other processes. Interesting. Very good. All right, next one. Um, so looking back when you were younger, what was, your what was the silliest thing that you were afraid of? I, I was the kid that always thought there was a monster under the bed, I confess. but I think as a child, I really hated... Um, so there's this kind of um, washing streets for cars, you know? <laughs> and I think I somehow thought that this thing would eat the car oh, or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> car wash, yeah. And I hated it. That's funny. <laughs> Next question. Um, what is the first thing you think about when you get up in the morning? Um, I like to think about progress in a way that I want to be less wrong every day. And um, the first thing I'm, <laughs> when I wake up, I'm like, damn, okay, look, we're doing this again. How, what, what, I'm, what, I'm, what am I going to try to be less wrong about today? That's how I learn, basically. Wow. Good stuff. Would you rather have to sing along with every song that you hear or dance along with every song that you hear? I think both <laughs> is bad. <laughs> <laughs> but dancing could be more fun. Yeah, nice. Okay. For me. And you're burning, hey, g gamification, you're burning calories. And <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Next question. You're trying to survive a zombie apocalypse. What one person do you want to make sure is on your team? Damn, I love video games, as you know, and I love zombie movies. So what I need on my team is, I think, another MacGyver similar to, to my skills, but a bit supplementary that you can really source good materials and just create some kind of 
mechanisms that actually work so we can actually fight those zombies off, you know, and um, this person needs to be able to do the welding, um, you know, know about electricity, water. I like this question. It's the best I had so far. <laughs> <laughs> you want that resourceful person. Good answer. Good answer. All righty. Last one. Uh, what is something you've always wanted to do, but you haven't had a chance to do it yet? All right. So this sounds uh, very like superficial and stuff, but we are in a super privileged position. We are in the global north in industrialized countries, right? We have a full fridge. And I cannot think, and I, I don't come from a, from a good background or a too good background, you know, but it was still very good if I compare it to other people's life in the world. So I think eventually um, in a few years, I don't know, one, 10, whatever, how many years, I think I want to help other people um, to do just better in life in general, I think. And maybe because construction employs so many people, it is um, putting food on table for many, many millions of workers in the world. Um, and they go to the job not knowing if they come back, right? It's one of the most um, unsafe um, kind of working industries. I think it's, I think it's the, the unsafest one probably. Maybe oil and gas exploration or something is worse, but it's still pretty bad out there. Um, so I think increasing somehow worker safety um, in industry that cannot be industrialized or automated yet, you know, like the other 80% of the world. Um, I think that, that we have to do some work there too. Very good. Yeah, very good. Well, Alex, thank you again so much. Um, for folks who might want to get in touch with you or learn more about, keep up with what you're doing, how can they most easily do that? Yes. So the easiest would be to find me on LinkedIn. Um, my name is Alex, A-L-E-X, uh, Watson. Um, that's also the name I use on LinkedIn. We have a construction tech discord. I will also send you the link where people just engage. We have conversations. We do also like some kind of jam sessions uh, like this. Um, we post open job offers, events. I think that's also quite nice. And I usually, I usually respond within a day. And we'll put that information in the show notes as well. And when you're looking for LinkedIn, Alex is the one with the upside down picture, um, which I exactly. love. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so I have to update everyone. Um, I think we were all successful with our challenge words that we had to work into things. Um, uh, Ethan, your word that you had was? My word was lighting, and I did fit it in there. It took me a while, but I got it in there when I was talking about solar. You did. Good job. I had the word hammer. I got rid of it really early on, so I didn't have to worry about it again. And Alex, you did a great job. You had the word. I had great. radius, but I also great. used hammer in one yeah, of the analogy. Yeah. Right there. Sorry if I oh, sneaked in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you got both. Ah, I like didn't know there's exclusivity to these words. That's like a, an overachiever. We love that. <laughs> well, thank you again, Alex. This has been just a real pleasure and uh, it's going to make a group for a great show. So thank you so much for your time here this morning. Hey, likewise, guys. Thanks thanks for having uh, me um, and, and hope to stay connected with you guys. And, and thanks for the listener out, out there um, to, to maybe wake up and you know, be less wrong tomorrow. Sounds good. I love that. Great way to think about things. And thank you to our audience for tuning into this episode of Construction Disruption. Please always watch for future episodes. Um, we always have great guests, and uh, this episode was no exception to that. Uh, please don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or YouTube. Um, until the next time we're together, um, 
keep on trying to be less wrong, um, but keep on disrupting and, and challenging things, um, make things better for the world. And don't forget to have a positive impact on the people that you encounter along the way. Be kind, um, do those simple things that change the lives of others in very, very powerful ways. So um, God bless, take care. This is uh, Isaiah Industries signing off until the next episode of Construction Disruption. This podcast is produced by Isaiah Industries, manufacturer of specialty metal roofing and other building products.